We don't need to make technology go away. It's cool. It really makes some amazing things happen. And I gotta tell you, it would be really hard to run my business without a smartphone. But we can become more intentional around it. And I think it's going to do really good things for our children, building an ethics and etiquette around technology. You know, it's happened so fast, we just haven't had time. So let's make time now. It's time. Welcome to Free Your Inner Guru, the podcast for conscious leaders where we have big, real conversations about leadership, personal growth, entrepreneurship, spirituality, and the self-help industry, because everything you need is inside of you. I'm your host, Laura Tucker. Our guest this episode is Veronica Kieran. Veronica is an anthropologist, entrepreneur, and the author of Stories of Elders, What the Greatest Generation Knows About Technology That You Don't. Stories of Elders is an in-depth, charming, and highly relatable look at how the lives of our elders have been shaped by technology and how they think it's affecting our lives today. In the short time since Veronica and I sat down to record this interview, I've observed at least a dozen specific examples of the truth behind Stories of Elders. What I love about this interview is that Veronica shares her truth, but also by listening to the voices of 100 elders as they share the wisdom and experience of their combined thousands of years of living through times of change, it's clear that now is the time that we as conscious leaders can make a difference. Enjoy. Welcome to Free Your Inner Guru, Veronica. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much, Laura. It's so good to talk to you. So I want to start this interview with a little bit of background about yourself and what compelled you to write this book, because writing this book didn't just involve locking yourself away in your home or any location and sitting down at a computer and writing. It involved a massive undertaking of driving over 11,000 miles across the United States. You interviewed 100 people who you describe as elders and you share right on your website, storiesofelders.com, um, the number, the sheer number of years of knowledge, something like 8,350 something. Mm -hmm. and, and now you've got this one book to confront technology. So yeah. let's start with the background on that, because I think the audience, like when I first heard about it, I was, it just evoked such curiosity. Right. Yeah. So this was one of those situations where the universe bestows an idea upon you and you just kind of jump because you have to. <laughs> um, so um, at the time of the, the kind of lightning strike, when I received the idea, it was 2015. I myself was running a tech company uh, and noticing how technology was affecting my own life. It was February, 2015. And I had this idea that I would start to record some of our history, but I didn't really know what that meant. So that was just like this general broad stroke. That's what I got. And, um, as I told some of my confidence about this idea, um, I realized that the thread that was being pulled out over and over again, the things that I was saying about it was regarding our elders. Uh, and from there I said, okay, let's 
test this idea out. So in April of 2015, two months later, I interviewed four family elders and I just, I didn't have the interview questions formulated because I really didn't, I didn't realize what this project was about yet. But so I just went for it because sometimes you just have to go for it. Um, And I realized that not only were the elders talking about technology in their interviews because they're concerned about these young children growing up with smartphones. But when I was describing the interviews to my friends and colleagues, people in our younger generations, I too was making this compare and contrast between our lives and theirs. And that's when it really became apparent, okay, this is about technology changing society. And for me, I think I have an extra piece that made me the right, you know, like the universe chose me. Okay. So, so, but I had the tech company. I really understand how technology is affecting us from a very deep level from both sides, from a developer standpoint and a human standpoint, but I also lost my elders at a very young age. First funeral I went to when I was three, my great uncle, uh, my grandfather died actually. So the first funeral I went to was when I was one and a half. I just don't remember it. So I remember the one at age three, uh, both my grandmothers died when I was 19. The one had Alzheimer's. So I never really got to know her. My, my grandmother is one of 14. So all my life I've been losing elders and I never got to really dig in and get to know them. And I feel the sense of loss of my own history. So to be meeting all of these people who are older, who have a hundred years of wisdom in some cases is fantastic. So that's how, that's how it all kind of came together. And you, you approach this from the technology point of view, but you also have, uh, as I understand it, a background in anthropology. Yeah. My degree is in cultural anthropology, specifically social anthropology. Um, and I had no idea when I got that degree that this was going to happen, but I knew that it was the right fit for me because I love kind of challenging convention and just poking around and saying, is this good for us? If not, what could be better? And having those types of conversations. When you got the idea, how did you make it happen? How did it come about? It's a significant commitment. (laughs) I still sit and like, wow. Um, So once I started doing some interviews, um, about middle of 2015, I said, okay, I know from an anthropological standpoint to make this an authoritative document, it needs to be diverse and well-rounded. And the only way that I saw to do that was to literally hit the road and travel the United States. Not just because I wanted to go to different places where other elders were who had a different background than the elders that grew up around me and my family, but also because they don't use technology like you and I do. So an interview over the phone or an interview over the computer, first of all, may not be possible simply because some have not adopted technology. Many have, but some have not. And it also, going into their houses also translated a form of respect that that generation came up with physically going to them, showed them the respect and honor that they deserved and their stories deserved. So I said, okay, obviously I need funding in order to do that. Um, and the, the best place that I knew to go to was Kickstarter. 
Um, so I launched the Kickstarter in um, mid-September, I believe, early September. So it's been pretty much exactly three years since I funded the project. Got funded, became a staff pick on Kickstarter. And I really do believe it's because I did a lot of groundwork interviewing, again, people who had done Kickstarters. How did you do it? How were you successful? What what are some tips? What would you do, do differently? And that really went towards my success. Um, and so on November 2nd, 2015, I got into a rental car and off I went alone. And as how long were you on the road? Because November in some parts of the country is not going to be the best <laughs> driving weather. I know, I know. Um, yep. Definitely experienced that. Um, I was on the road for six weeks and, um, I would do it differently. I did, my self-care was not on point by any stretch of the the word. Um, And I do get really honest in the chapter on mental health in this book about my own situation because I do have post-traumatic stress injury and it was aggravated during that journey. Um, But yeah, driving through the Rocky Mountains in November is terrifying. Don't do it. I've done it. I've done it. I have done it. That's that's oh, why the red flag went up for me. And I know a little bit about your backstory around trauma. So uh, let's, uh, and that's one of, uh, when we first met, that was one of the things we bonded over. So how do you feel about sharing a little bit of that backstory that, that comes, you know, it, it has to inform you as you're talking to these people who've lived through wars, who have been to war. Um, it, it has to influence um, how you see and interact with them. Yeah. Um, having, having post-traumatic stress disorder and then having to develop self-care around that certainly changes how you approach other people. Um, I do believe that it has primed me both for this project and with my entrepreneurial clients that I think I'm a better listener. I think I'm more empath- empathetic, even though I always was, which is why my, my, PTSI is um, derived from case working in a disaster zone. So that, you know, it's tied to empathy in the first place, but um, it has, it has changed the way I see the world. And so then it changed the way that I was able to listen and honor these people who were trusting me as a conduit for their stories. Mm. Mm. It must've been very compelling and going to their home, as you were saying, also, it there it creates intimacy, like with yeah. no with no pre existing relationship. Once you got out of your immediate, you know, your first level of of um, relationship into that second mm-hmm. degree of se- those degrees of separation, yeah, you know, going into their homes and then taking this. It's interesting timing because we were out last night with two of my aunts who are, you know, they're in their late seventies and eighties. And on the way home, we were chatting and there was a particular story that came up and I was, I was shocked that I didn't remember the detail and it made me realize that I needed, I need to go and get that detail and make it, make it a priority. If it's something that's truly important to me. Right. That's the thing that makes me so sad is that a lot of, you know, this, these generations, so the older millennials and then Gen Y, and even Gen X, um, we have this amazing opportunity right now because these people are still living. Um, now, to be honest, 25% of the people I interviewed have already passed. So that gives you 
a scope of the urgency here, but we, we, we are adult enough to be able to understand these stories and to take them in. Um, but for some reason, uh, I hear this from my friends. I hear this from colleagues that they don't realize what they have until it's gone. So yeah, even just sitting and hitting the record button on your phone while you're hanging out with whomever your elders are, it could be really, uh, a really beautiful thing to to have once they're gone. I listened to a voicemail from my father. Yeah. And it is very, you know, it's touching and it's a beautiful thing to have. And here you have not just the book, but you have the audio and in yeah. most cases video too on Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say about 70% of them I have video and that has been turned into a documentary which is premiering at the book release party in September. I don't know. I've, I've known quite a number of people who have books coming out. I don't know if I've, I've ever met anyone as excited uh, about their book really? as, as you are. And, and this is such, it's so, it really is like the ownership of it. It's really, it's a beautiful thing to watch. So um, when, when I put all the links back to your website and your Facebook and uh, into the, uh, the show notes, I'll make sure that, you know, go and watch. It's, it's really, it's very, so heartfelt because I think not only does it have meaning for you, I think you understand the, the implications of if people read the book. And, yeah. and when I read it, I candidly, when I heard about it, stories of elders, I was expecting one story, like one person featured, you know, like mm-hmm. the, it be centered yeah. around each individual person. Yeah. And then when I, when I opened it up and I started looking at it, the themes that you have it organized around are compelling and timely in, in many, some are timeless, some are extremely timely. So let's talk a little bit about this because the underlying theme is technology. Well, let's start with what you start with. Let's start with communication. What did you take away from listening and and putting this book together? I loved the moment when, um, Bob Johnson, he, he's a psychologist in Salt Lake City, Utah. And he said to me, whenever I want to communicate something to somebody that means a lot, I write it down. I write it by hand in a letter because then it exists kind of forever. Now it's a thing in the world. It's not just a concept that has been sent digitally. And I, I mean, I love doing that. I have my great grandfather's dip pen like you dip the thing in the ink and then you write it. I found it as we were cleaning my great grandparents' house out last year. Um, and I love writing my friends' letters with that because it looks old fashioned too. So it looks like it has all this meaning in it, even though I just wrote it down. Um, there's definitely issues with regards to um, slang that is coming from technology. And it's, I mean, so we're in acceleration period. I mean, we all kind of socially have agreed that we're, we're kind of accelerating. Technology is just really going. Um, and so even though every generation has had its own slang, it's like the hippies uh, reappropriated the victory sign to be the peace sign, right? Um, they have awesome and cool and, you know, right? Um, but those were a few catchphrases. And now we have lol. ROTFL, friend is no longer a friend, like is no longer just a like. Karma, if you're on Reddit, is no longer just a religious saying. It's a, you know, it's another form of liking something. Um, and we use those colloquially. And then if you get around somebody who doesn't 
and you say, oh yeah, I just friended somebody. They're like, you know, it's not grammatically correct, but it is if you're on social media, right? So our communication, we're starting to kind of like, like jam the pieces together, trying to force communication across generations and not really thinking about um, maybe how to bridge that gap. How do you see it being different from past generations or even a better way to ask that is what's the impact of, of the fact that we are in an accelerated period? Mm -hmm. Because it's not just about saying cool or awesome. Thank you for confirming that I'm basically a hippie at, at, <laughs> at heart, <laughs> but you know, the, the, dis, the disconnect and, and yeah. the impact generationally. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more from your, from your point of view. Well, so I don't want to be just negative, you know, so communication has gotten, again, like we're here, we're doing this, we're communicating. Mm -hmm. That is amazing. Um, I wouldn't be in touch with my family in the old country in Croatia without Facebook. Like it just wouldn't, it just wouldn't be because we would have long distance fees on phones, right? That's what we had. Some of the elders feel like because so much communication has shifted onto technology, that there's a left behind factor happening. If you're not on email, you're not getting invited to the golf outings or to, you know, whatever club they're a part of. Um, and so I really, I would really like to see just a little bit more thought because by saying that we're going to email and now we're just doing all of our communication via email and you want to have a diverse age subset within your organization, you are, you, that action literally communicates that the older generations, the people who might not be using email, either don't exist anymore in your mind or don't matter. That lack of intentionality means to them, I don't care enough to make sure that you get invited by phone or by letter. So you just don't get invited at all. So for the release party for this book, I sent physical invitations to all the elders. And I typed the most critical information where, when, you know, RSVP to on my typewriter. So I wrote it by hand, the thank you for participating. This is happening now is written by hand. And then the critical part is written on my typewriter so that I make sure that they are communicated with as clearly as possible and in a way that they're used to being communicated to. So there's a real, I mean, there's a thread here of be, being inclusive and understanding because I think a lot of us um, in a, so I was just telling a story I must have been influenced by reading the book is that in oftentimes in our online world, even amongst our peers, there will be say a Facebook group used. And if someone's like, oh, well, I'm not really on Facebook or I don't understand Facebook. Yeah. It's, it's, that's almost a generational divide because the mm -hmm. the mass communication is happening within those groups yeah. and often it is kind of get on board or it's it can be too much to manage yeah and i'm guilty of it i mean i i admit in the book that my friends who aren't on facebook i have to there is an extra leap of of thinking in order to remember them simply because we've been trained to see whoever's in front of us on our newsfeed every day that's so that's the people who are real to us, unfortunately. Um, 
So I don't think anyone is exempt. You know, nobody's Mm -hmm. perfect. I'm not like, just because I wrote this book doesn't mean I've got it together regarding this. But I think the biggest lesson is to try to be intentional and think just a little bit further about the way that you want to communicate. And how does, because communication was, is almost another underlying theme of all of this. Mm. When you got talking to them about say, say war and politics, what, what impact did they share and wisdom did they have around how they perceive things have changed in time? So with regards to war, there's definitely a concern and a fear uh, because we have constant war and the weapons are increasingly dangerous. So there's definitely a concern there. And regarding politics as well, um, it was actually really interesting to talk to them about politics. It just, it would come up, you know, I had these prompts, these questions I was asking, and then whatever subjects their minds went to is where we went uh, together. And, um, you know, you don't realize like in the 1930s, people were voting for people that they'd never seen before ever. We just had the radio, like television was like barely around in the thirties. And most people didn't have one. They just had a radio. And so if you take that step further back before radio, who are they voting for? All you had was the newspaper to tell you, you know, and then you bring it through the forties and fifties and the television started coming in. They started being able to see who they're voting for. And then that, um, if you look like me, I trust you factor really started to become important because mm. now we can see who they were and, and make judgments on what they looked like. I mean, talk about like, you know, the pant, pantsuit kingdom, right? Like we talk about the pantsuit, the pantsuit, the pantsuit. Nobody would have known she was wearing a pantsuit in the 1930s. Mm. It would be scandalous in the 1930s, but you know what I mean? Like it wouldn't have mattered what she was wearing. Mm-hmm. Right. And for, so, not, I'm concerned not everybody will get, catch that reference, but I'm, uh, I'm sorry, quite certain uh, you're talking about Hillary, Hillary Clinton yeah, and, yeah. and the actually pants suit nation came up in uh, an interview a few interviews ago. So if no, someone's been listening along, they have the context. You've got it. But, yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's a great, it's, it's a powerful example. Even the current president, we wouldn't be making fun of his orange skin without a television to see it, you know? or like full mm-hmm. color pictures. So that became really, really important for them. So I think the, the, the theme pretty much across the book, across all these topics, but especially here uh, in, these, in these subjects was um, this mantra, is it, is it good or is it bad? Are we using it for good? Are we using it for bad? Are we using it as a benefit or, it, or a detriment? Um, because it does fantastic, wonderful things. But sometimes you know, it's just a tool. So sometimes if a person is really conniving, they're going to use it for something that's not so good. And maybe this is more for you to assimilate from the information because you have the broader view. Did they have any solutions generally based on their experience and their wisdom beyond concern and fear? Yeah. So I'm, again, that mantra, they really, I mean, like they were saying, maybe let's try to learn to say this before we do something or before we invent something or adopt something. Um, And so then for me, I like to extrapolate that further and say, okay, like there's an example that I like to use. There was a young man who was, uh, he was pitching a startup. So this was a fresh new idea. It had no funding yet, but he wanted to create an app 
that would allow uh, students, specifically in um, low-income areas, to be engaged in sports um, without having to have a funded program or um, you know certain certain things that go along with that. And I was like, well, that's a noble, that's a noble idea. That's a noble cause. But what happens? to a child who doesn't have a coach standing there to lift your arm a little further. So when you swing the bat, you don't throw out your back. What happens to the child who learns to play a sport, but doesn't have a team around them. So they don't learn camaraderie. Right. So I asked him these questions and I said, what happens when, when the, the, um, all the schools start adopting this then, because it may be focused on a low income area, but, um, inevitably it's easier And so it's going to get adapted more broadly than you expect. What happens? And he said, no, 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 nope, nope. That's not a problem. It's not going to be a problem. And I'm like, but it, but it will, because humans like the shiny. We like the new, oh, this is neat, interesting, cool. And if it's easier to go a certain route, we tend to. And that's the type of intentionality that I'm talking about to really care for the things that we're creating, you know, we are creators. Humans are creators. So let's care for what we create in its birth and, of course, in its, in its going away. How do we, you know, then recycle it and everything? So how are our elders more intentional with their technology then? What did you find? It seems like they've lived so long without it that it's not as addicting as it is for us. And when they do start to get addicted, they notice right away and then they start doing something about it. They, they bring that intentionality back up. One woman in particular told me that um, her and her husband got a flat screen TV and then they each had their own phones and uh, she had a tablet, he had a laptop. And it took the power going out one day to notice that, oh, we've been sitting in the living room on our individual technology, physically together, but our minds in other places. We, we really mentally weren't here. And they noticed that they were talking about things that they hadn't talked about in years. So to harness that, they now go on a weekly date out of the house, leaving the technology at home in order to just have that really focused time with each other. She also started doing tea parties with her friends in the same vein. Uh, So no technology allowed and they rotate houses. So they're sure to see everyone. Um, And I, I actually loved that idea so much that I started doing something very similar myself, brunch with friends. So um, those are the steps that I see them taking. It's not just their concern for the future generations, but it's also, okay, this is happening in my own life. Um, And so then realizing it and doing something about it. It's almost like that, oh, that hyper connection or that broader connection is creating disconnection. And I think, I think, I mean, I can totally understand that with the number of hours I spend on the screen here and, uh, and, and elsewhere. Um, but you know, you, you tipped over to, or your mind made me go to, especially with the elderly, but for all of us, that increasing isolation that happens when, when we think we're connected, but we're not truly having connection. Yeah. So my theory is that, um, you know, okay, so we're social creatures. We know this, this is just a fact. Um, it's how we survived all these thousands of years. Um, 
So we have this drive to be social, this, this kind of like, if you want to call it like an indicator in our brains, in our brain starts to tick, it goes on. It says, Hey, time to socialize. I'm lonely. But then we're defaulting to the computer. What happens when we socialize in person is we get endorphin dumps, we get dopamine. So we have a sense of wellness, peace of mind. And miraculous thing happens where the ends of our DNA start to heal, especially if we touch, if we hug or if we're touching, we have even more of that really good benefit stuff. That doesn't happen online. Your brain says, I need to go socialize. You go socialize on the internet. Your brain goes, okay, I socialized, but the endorphins didn't come. The dopamine didn't come. The telomase healing on your DNA didn't come, at least not in the usual quantities it would. And then we're seeing higher instances of anxiety and depression in our society. So I do think there's a correlation happening there that I'm, I'm working to put together outside of this book. Mm, it's fascinating. And I, and I see, I see the tie then over to how taking conscious steps to be connected live with people mm-hmm. becomes a part of a greater self-care regimen or initiative. Yeah. 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 I mean, we talk about meditation or even alone time, right? Taking time to hear your own thoughts and you can't hear your own thoughts if you're constantly consuming. And that's what we're doing on the internet really is we're just, we're getting input, 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 input. So our brain doesn't even have the chance to filter it and digest it, let alone then become a creator again yourself. So um, certainly turning it off and having your own alone time allows some digestion to happen. And then just coming back and hearing your own voice and realizing where your boundaries end and where the internets or your other friends may begin. And then, yes, definitely saying, okay, uh, yes, it's one step further to call somebody. Um, I have to put other things down in order to be on the phone for a second. You know, like while I'm talking to you, I couldn't be surfing the internet. I can't be making a meal, you know, like it takes a little bit more focus to talk to somebody on the phone. And yes, it takes even more focus. And for some people it is, um, it causes anxiety to see someone in person, but the benefits of that intentionality are huge for the body and the mind. It's worth it. How does this tie into your, 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 entrepreneurial initiative, self-care through scaling. I'd love to create that link. To drive that home then, what I was just talking about, um, for my clients, they have to be using technology overwhelmingly. You know, to be running a business these days, even if it is a store, you're still using technology in order to market, in order to take credit cards, you're in it. You have to be using tech. So that means yet, yet again, you can have the, the barrel rolling down the hill and not realize it. You've got to step away in order to see the bigger vision and the big picture. Um, that work-life balance where you close the computer, you put things away, um, is really, really critical to mental health, just as we covered. But for some people in business, they don't have the systems in place in order to be able to, to shut the computer down. Um, and so that's where the scaling piece comes in, that I really work with them in order to create systems within their business so that their business is working for them, even when they are physically not engaged with the business. 
so that they can self-care, so they can shut the technology and walk away and have that peace of mind, that clarity, see people that they love, have a weekend, take a holiday. (laughs) Go out and move your body. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 As you know, when this will be airing, we'll be into September, but for the last several months on the podcast, and it was a direct reflection of my own needs in my own life, I ran a a summer of self-care. Yeah, Um, I love it. Thanks. It's, It's been really uncomfortable, I have to say. Really? Yeah, not now, maybe not now, but at the beginning of the summer, I had to say to myself, I got to move. I was not, I was going into the summer tired. Um, I had just come out of a deeply intense um, experience, also needed to get a ton of administrative work done, which Mm -hmm. is energy draining. Mm -hmm. And I was like, so tired of computer, social media, all of it. And like you said, you have to maintain a certain amount of it, or there's this horribly toxic fear of missing out, you know, FOMO for the acronym speakers. (laughs) And, uh, but I had to sit, throw it up to the universe and say, okay, universe, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you enough and trust myself and trust the work of the last several years that I can take a, a bit of a break and shift some of my focus back into these other areas of my life that I value. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to share what feels right to share. Yeah. So I didn't turn it into a giant challenge. I didn't, you know, go beyond, you know, the boundaries of, of, you know, what I would consider intimacy with the internet and the user didn't, mm-hmm. you know, overshare because that can be very depleting as well. Yeah. But it's been an extremely interesting journey as I re I prioritized the podcast, mm-hmm. emailed a lot less, you know, posted less. And yeah. at the end of the day, here we are, end of August, mm-hmm. um, everything has come up. Like there is something, mm-hmm. would you agree there? Like there is something to like self-care is more than a mind body um, yeah. and even spirit it's a, uh, it's a worldview, which can include your business. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I certainly work with my clients to incorporate self-care into their business models. So that as our hiring employees, once they get to that point of scaling, it's, it's part of the foundation of the business. Um, but yeah, it, it, if you're focused on self-care, you start to look at the world differently. Like you said, you start to see, okay, I'm being asked to do this thing? Do I have time? Do I have energy? Is this good for me? What's the outcome? Um, and so then again, with technology, I love that connection that you just made because, um, potentially that feeds right back into the intentionality of technology and maybe, um, maybe even, um, like a healthy reaction, the healthy pause. Should I be adopting this? Is this going to help my life or, or is it just going to be another distraction? Um, yeah, I can definitely see how self-care then becomes this bond towards the technological intentionality. Mm-hmm. And even, yes, all of it, as far as time is such a, it isn't an unlimited resource. We don't have an unlimited no. resource of time. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing at the look on your I face. Mean, it's, yeah. Right. So, so leverage. I mean, what, what have I discovered? Like 25% of the people I interviewed have already passed away. Right. Like I scrambled for three years to get this book out the door. So that might be a reality to them too. And it, and it, for some, it just, it didn't because time is, is 
finite for all of us. Have the people that you interviewed, have they seen advanced copies of the book or have they, have they had any exposure to it at all? Not yet. Not yet. So after, after each interview, I did send a thank you letter to each person. Mm-hmm. Um, but some, some of them are on Facebook. So some of them have a concept that this is happening. Um, but some of them, the, um, so the local elders, local to me, close enough to get to the release party, um, they, they received a phone call from me saying, hi, you know, remember me? I'm this weird person that came and talked to you one time. Uh, and then is your phone, is your address the same so that I can mail you a letter? You're going to receive the letter soon. So they know it's coming now. Um, they don't know that I'm asking them to, to sign the book with me. So we've got to kind of collect them all scenario where, um, I'm going to build several copies. I have all the signatures in them. And then, um, if somebody really wants to, they can be a roadie and go to all the signings around the country, try to do the same. Um, but each, each person will be receiving a copy of their, of the book, um, just as another thank you. Mm. So that's kind of, we're like in this like little, like everything's about to happen space. This next week is where things are just going to start snowballing like crazy. You say that with a ton of certainty and that's got to (laughs) feed back to your experience as an entrepreneur. So how did your experience with your past businesses and your past roles, um, how is that helping to create success for this book that you care so deeply about? Well, I think if I, if I wasn't an entrepreneur, when I started this book, I wouldn't have known how to network and how to market online in order to make a Kickstarter a successful fundraising experience. Um, I wouldn't have had even the people or the resources to begin those conversations, certainly having your own business. And I'm I'm sure you can attest to this. um, It kind of teaches you a certain way of presenting yourself, um, speaking about your work. Uh, So I had, I had gone through all those, um, what's the plural of refined refinations? Refinements. <laughs> Refinement. There you go. That that works great. Um, so uh, that had all had happened because I was I started my first business in 2010. So I've been I've been an entrepreneur for five years by the time this project started started its conception, um, and then to continue that, knowing how to hustle, knowing how to network over not just the internet but over phone across you know, state lines in order to find elders to interview. Um, that, that all has been really critical. And then now with this book coming out, I know this book has to be a scaled project. I cannot do it alone. I have an amazing publisher who is a freaking ninja when it comes to Amazon's algorithms. So the book is already trending number one new book in social thought, which is great. Um, and then I have an amazing publicist who is a ninja what she does. And so I know that everything's falling into place just because I have amassed the help that I need to make this a success. But also, I mean, I have, I have all the tasks and the schedules written down. I know what needs to happen in September in order to have the book release party on September 30th. I know I'm starting to get RSV, RS, what? <laughs> RSVP phone calls from, uh, from elders um, and hearing their voices again and hearing their excitement, um, all the promo, the clips for the documentary are going to start dropping. So I, there's just stuff that I know that I have built a calendar for. Again, because I've been an entrepreneur, I know how to do that. So um, 
it's been critical. I think it's been an absolute cornerstone to this book. I hope that anyone listening, myself included, sees that this, like, this is a conversation that it's, it's about transferable skills, right? Really, oh, yeah. like totally being yeah. able to take what you have experienced before in a different environment, different context, and, and not think that you're back at square one. Yeah, that, that's what actually makes me a little bit sad. Um, when, I, when I speak at universities about anthropology, I really encourage students to think about their degrees in a, my, a much more diverse way because this degree goes so far. But at the same time, okay, so you've had a career in one industry for 10 years, let's say. Okay, you're 30, you've been working in this one industry, and now you want to make a switch. And you imagine that you're going to have to start at entry level, just like you said, but that's not true. But you have to know how to pitch yourself and you have to know how to present the work that you've done someplace else, how that transfers, how that works for this new company that you want to start in. So, yeah, I think, you know, everything that we do, it life is less than linear, kind of just like there's all these flowing pieces all together. And, um, and somehow I figured out at a very young age that 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 was true and that this piece over here can work over here too. And I've been doing mm-hmm. that since I was 13, I think. It's, and it's interesting because never in a million years would I have thought that my, and this is going back a long time ago, mm-hmm. but my, my degree in psychology mm-hmm. would like my lifelong interest in how people think, um, mm-hmm. you know, mental wellness, you know, and then increasingly, um, you know, abundance principles and, and spiritual practices. Never in a million years did I think that it would all come together like some confluence into not just a coaching practice, but the podcast and the writing and being able to assimilate information. Don't you sometimes feel, or maybe you had it figured out way younger than I did that it's like, holy crap, if I knew I'd be using this stuff 30 years later, in my case, I think I would have probably listened more. There, or not, there, or not got, or not wondered, uh, not worried so much that you know, had I made yeah. the right choice, or you know, if I didn't go into, if I didn't become a psychologist at the time, mm-hmm. that it wasn't a waste of time. Yeah. Right. Yes. I, you know, I, I've been doing this transference of skills since I was thirteen. I know it was since I was thirteen because I was doing it when I was learning language, um, and I remember kids around me wondering, how did you know to use this word out of this phrase that we you learned it in and make up your own phrase, right? That's just language learning, but I, I've been able to do it at a base level. The thing is doing it, being able to do it and knowing you are able to do it are two different things. And I think the knowing that I was able to transfer skills like that came after I had graduated university with the degree in anthropology. And there was just like you said, some trepidation, people saying like, how are you going to get a job with a degree in anthropology? And I was like, well, I'm going to figure it out. Not totally realizing now what I try to teach other anthropology students that this is one of the most magical degrees out there because just like psychology, it primes you to see people. And that's what we're doing in every business ever. Um, So yeah, I I hope that maybe some people hear this and and realize okay, this is a thing and it's real for everyone. Yes, and it's the threads that come th- you know that come through different stages in life that are worth picking up and and experimenting with later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and then I mean you've taken it to um, to the next level where now you've used you're 
you've used it um, to create something, a book. Yeah. Right. Like that book, just like not to get morbid here, but just like you said about, about your elders that you interviewed and some of them have passed that this book um, will, will be around longer than you even. Yeah. I feel thankful. I'm sad that these people will pass away, but I'm thankful that I have this documented. And I know that once this generation is gone, which is going to be a truth that we experience, this book will be even more valuable. Mm. And knowing that I was chosen, not in a messianic way, just like, you know, the universe zapped me with lightning one day figuratively. And now this idea is there. And, you know, the muses could have chosen anybody to give the idea to, but it, it came to me and that I got to be involved in something that hopefully, hopefully creates that kind of legacy is, um, I'm just, you know, I have to be in awe. What impact do you want the book to have 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now? So I have a couple leads right now for universities who might be using it in the classroom, which is part of the legacy that I really want. There's a quote in the book that effectively says that without knowing our history, we can't build a solid future. Our history is our foundation. It is how we know that certain things are good societally, that some things are bad societally, that um, that we need to protect certain things um, or let certain things go. Um, we by studying history, we can follow trends and say, okay, this is this is the way this might go. So let's not panic. I mean, we all knew that eventually the recession would end because we knew that the depression ended. We just know, okay, this is a cycle. It's happening. We're good to go. It's uncomfortable, but we're good to go eventually. (laughs) Right. So, um, I think that the book plays a big role in that. Um, I've been told that it is written in a way that it is easily digested, which is good. I can attest to that. Oh, good. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think it needs to be, and I'm hoping that it's the younger generations that really take an interest in it. And, and that's going to be a hard leap, but my fingers are crossed because I think that them realizing that these people existed and then us even today, like people who rode horses to school are, are still voting. They're still influencing our culture. They're still relevant. Um, will help us foundationally moving forward as we're grappling with technology and how things have changed, knowing how they changed and evolved. Um, and how the last people who grew up with as much adulthood as possible without it, but then saw it at the very end of their lives. Um, what they said about it will, will give us some sort of foundation for that intentionality. And I really hope that we find an intentionality around technology. My worry is that if we don't, we're going to have the children who receive smartphones at age two, so, so, you know, you've been around a toddler. I know you have. So you've seen 
the way their brains are like sucking everything in, like everything. Mm -hmm. Oh, here's a new material I've never touched before. I'm going to put my mouth on it. I'm going to feel it. I'm going to try and stand on it. I'm going to try and throw it. I'm going to see what it does. They're, they're in constant experimental phase, which is why they call it the terrible twos because they tear apart the entire house because they're exploring everything and they want to know how it all works. Okay. Now all that energy and interest is funneled into a smartphone and that's it. And I know that's an extreme to say, but it is very true for a lot of families. Um, so the tactile experiences, the testing your boundaries, the physicality, the brain development, that doesn't happen. And now we're getting studies that say kids who get smartphones at a young age or touch, touch screens at a young age can't function without them. Their brains form so deeply around them. They can't function without a smartphone, without technology when they get older. What does that do to our politics in 30 or 40 years? What does that do to our, our international relations, our care for the, the people who need care for most, empathy? Um, so that's why I hope that we create an intentionality because we're at that crossroads. This is happening now. And with the speed of the, of the, of the change, as, you're, as you described earlier in our conversation with it, and anything that I've ever read or looked at only says it's going to continue to accelerate. Mm-hmm. which, which is tough to get my mind around because <laughs> of, you know, <laughs> like what, like what, have like, like robotic OBGYNs or like, you know, like <laughs> seriously, yeah, I saw, <laughs> yeah, I did not. When I read that in your book, I was like, I don't relish being, I know. being here for that. <laughs> That's the delicious part because then it forces you to think, okay, you have a comfort zone line. Mm-hmm. So do our elders and they're not wrong or bad for it. That's just, we all have our lines that we don't want to cross. Um, this woman in Detroit said to me, I hope I die before autonomous cars hit the road. That's her line. Right. And we all think like, Oh, come on. You know, they're not that big of a deal, but then here's your line. You don't want a robot checking out your lady parts. I don't either. I don't know. You know? So. And it's entirely probable that that will, these types yeah. of technologies yeah. will come into play if they're not already ready to be designed. Yeah. Or like the matrix, like we have humans being born in pods through, you know, like there's no, there's no human gestation whatsoever, you know, like that's, why wouldn't we figure out how to do that? So, so is one of your underlying messages then I, I hear empathy and I hear intentionality. Yes. And so, and, and we have seen even within the last five years, I think a shift, if we don't start looking at the red flags, do we see, is this the, is this potentially the loss of the influence of empathy and compassion in our culture? Mm -hmm. I hope not. I do have real hope because if you look on Facebook, there's been a shift in the past couple of years. I mean, it, like you said, so it's been happening for five-ish, maybe a little bit longer years. Well, probably 25 that we just didn't see it. Maybe not, right. Um, but I, so I remember Facebook used to be just kind of like, this is what I did today or have a conversation or like even like bicker and banter, right? And all of a sudden, especially now with um the administration here in the United States, um, there is a lot more being said about self-care, about intersectionality, about um, intentionality within community, diversity, um, accessibility. There's a lot of stuff coming out. Um, 
And more and more, I feel safe saying I have PTSD. I didn't feel safe when I still, when I first figured out that something was wrong with my brain, I did not feel safe saying that to anybody. I felt like I was going to be persecuted. And now today I feel supported and that may not be the experience of everyone, but I can see the shift. It seems like there's more conversation happening around it. And so I, I hope that my book lands kind of in the middle of that Mm. and energizes it further so that we say, okay, like we don't need to make technology go away. It's cool. It really makes some amazing things happen. And I got to tell you, it would be really hard to run my business without a smartphone, but we can become more intentional around it. And I think it's going to do really good things for our children, building in ethics and um, even uh, etiquette around technology. You know, it's happened so fast. We just haven't had time. So let's make time now. It's time. Well, I'm really, I'm looking forward to following it this, as, as the book launches and seeing more of the, the visual and audio content around it. Um, I, I want to thank you for coming on here today to chat with me. I want to wish you well through the launch and, uh, for anyone listening, I will leave links in the show notes to where you can find Veronica online and follow the release of stories of elders. And, uh, it is a fascinating read and the personalities of, of your elders come shining through. You did a, a beautiful job um, elucidating that. And, uh, and I think they are going to be very, very um, feel not just excited and privileged, but feel seen and heard. I hope so. I did my very best to honor their words throughout the book. So uh, I hope that is their reaction. Thanks for joining me here, Veronica. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Free Your Inner Guru. I know you have a lot of choice where you receive your inspiration and information. Please follow the links in the show notes to find Veronica and Stories of Elders online. If you've enjoyed and received value from this episode, or if you've been listening along for a while, I'd be grateful if you shared it with your tribe and left a rating and review if you're an Apple or iTunes listener. If you're uncertain how to do that, I've got you covered. Just follow the link at the very bottom of the show notes or go directly to lauratucker.com forward slash iTunes for step-by-step instructions on how to leave a review. Your review will help other wonderful people like you find us. Until next time, I'm Laura Tucker signing off for Free Your Inner Guru, where everything you need is inside of you.